at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, hello. Happy, uh, oh. it's being tough. It's, it's tough to, to name these weeks when there's just, I guess, NBA Finals week. Sure. Uh, I, I know that's not happy for you, uh, you resident Golden State Warriors hater, but. I have my reasons. It was happy for someone, I assume. Yeah, for, for people that, that arrived on the bandwagon a couple of years ago. They're, they're very pleased about this week. Yeah, I was at a, our local, the local bar that we most frequent. Uh, it happens to be a Cleveland bar for whatever reason. I don't know why, but so they, you know, got it really dressed up for Cavs, but, uh, and it's kind of entertaining. So we were there for game two, and there were like four Golden State fans, and the couple Cavs fans sitting next to us were just getting so annoyed because they were very, very loud. And odds are, if you're a Golden State Warriors fan in New York City, you probably weren't a Golden State Warriors fan in New York City in like 2013. So oh, you're a Knicks fan. Most well, <laughs> you were something or a Lakers fan. Uh, I bet a lot of I bet the highest group is like Kobe fans, like the you know those people that are they're not Lakers fans, they're they're Kobe Bryant fans. So I knew a lot uh, of those growing up, and then out here it's just a. Uh, there are so many just like Kobe Bryant apologists and just like diehard Kobe Bryant fans, like people, wife, my wife included, who who have not watched a game since he retired. It's funny because, like, I think in general, the NBA, the the fan, the fanships are like almost as strong, if not stronger, for individual stars as they are to most teams. Or some teams that buck that. But the Kobe cult of personality, like, is so much stronger than any other. Like LeBron fans, like Jordan fans, like whomever else. Kobe fans are so much more diehard Kobe fans compared to like you know what another player's fans are who just you know follow him from team to team. So it, it, that always confused me. Especially because, like, Kobe wasn't, like, super likable. Um, he was good. That's the thing, though. Like, like because, because LeBron and Michael Jordan's personalities and resumes were unassailable, meanwhile, like, Kobe's resume, unassailable, agreed, but, like, the off-the-court incident and then his just general personality and demeanor, like, just didn't really lend itself to the same like level of stardom that that lebron and jordan have achieved so i think like for them it was an extra layer of like defending the guy that like lebron fans save like i don't know people who were lebron fans before he went to miami and then were heat fans when he was there and now are still lebron fans i don't know like maybe those people have some defending that they like to take up but beyond that yeah i, I don't really think there, there are a ton of, of those for, for Jordan and LeBron the same way there are for, for Kobe Bryant. Yeah, uh, I, I think that's probably accurate. It just seems like the people who ride for Kobe, even today, like think that he's the best player ever, which is just an absurd thought. Like He's a really good player. He's a Hall of Famer. He'll, he's probably one of the, I'd say, probably in the 10 to 15 range, but like he's not even close to the best player ever. No, I, I, I would completely agree there. Uh on that note, I guess we'll get into Syracuse stuff, since I'm sure that's what everybody's here for. Sort of. However many of you are left. 
<laughs> at this point. <laughs> Always a concern. <laughs> um, so wanted to start with um, kind of the funny existential crisis that uh, I was talking about with other Syracuse fans online today, uh, former writers for the site, including Sean, of like, what the hell am I supposed to do now that Syracuse is finally scheduling smart? Um, I can kind of retire my soapbox at least, at least briefly. Um, and Dan, I guess, what's your take? Do you think that we are, we are officially out of the woods because we have the next couple of years set to go? Or do you think that this is just kind of the beginning of something? I mean, I, I even stated in the article today that, you know, I, I'm very optimistic that, that this is the start of, of us doing some very smart things with scheduling. But I mean, just, just the fact that, that, that I can, I don't have to complain about the next two years is, is already a novel concept for me. Yeah, I think you just take it as a really good sign that we're being smarter, um, both based on the scheduling that we've done in the last couple of weeks, and also what John Wildhack has said publicly. It kind of lines up. It's not like he's paying lip service, but then actually, you know, adding games against, uh, like, you know, more games against Wisconsin. I don't know why I couldn't think of any other college football team there. He's not adding games against Oregon or USC. Um, but uh, he, you know, says he's going to do a thing, and he's doing that thing. Um, and now I don't expect, you know, to never add another Power 5 series uh, again. But hopefully, since we have uh, Notre Dame and Wisconsin going forward, and uh, hopefully we wait a little bit, and we're not, like, too super uh, over-anticipatory as to when Syracuse will be back and competitive, because that happened once. I think that we thought we would probably be pretty decent when we played USC, and, you know, we kind of were, but we weren't good enough yet. And LSU, like this LSU series, um, I, I guess the, 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 like, bright side is, like, we're losing to a lot of teams, so it might as well be LSU versus, you know, a middling SEC team. Um, but, like, I hope we're, we're in a, a more stable ground when we start to re-add those premier games, which, you know, eventually you want to be at a point where you can play those, like, we're not going to be mad if we're going to be competitive in those games, but we're not. Like, we haven't been close for a while. Um, so hopefully we, uh, you know, ease our way in and not just be like, okay, we got, like, a couple wins on the schedule, so now let's let's go uh, put Florida on there. Yeah, I, I have to agree. And, like, I, I don't think Wild Hack's that type. Um, just because of his background and because, like, you know, he, he is a fan, and, and I think because he was a fan, he was a a fan who was active online and saw the conversations and was part of the conversations. I think he understood the damage that, that scheduling too tough was doing um, to the program. I, I think now, you know, we're, we're, we've set ourselves up for, for two years after this. Um, I mean, obviously Notre Dame's still on there, but that's, we can't do anything about that at this point. But yeah, I, I think that people are finally starting to realize like the lost revenues and, and lost potential by way of uh, scheduling these games that are too difficult. I know uh, David Hale over at ESPN had a, had a great kind of uh, side article that he wrote over on Facebook um, today that was talking about, you know, he compared a lot of the other private schools like that weren't on like the USC level or weren't TCU, um, talking about, you know, how um, they've, they've scheduled in non-conference play and how they've done like Syracuse, like I think it was either among it would, Syracuse. This was for all P5 teams. Um, they had the second worst non-conference record in that stretch, um, only to Washington State, who was like 15 and 16. So they had a lot less games than we did. I think we went. 
think it was 20, it was either 23 and 23 or 26 and 26 um, during the last 10 years of non-conference games, which is, uh, you know, kind of counterintuitive to everything you would want to do as a program since the main goal of college football has always been don't lose. Yeah, I think I think everything that you've said, you know, is pretty spot on. We talk about this all the time, but um, it's just nice. I think if anything, we can we can credit ourselves because clearly John Wildhack listens to our podcast and reads the website. <laughs> I'm only like a quarter kidding. Yeah, at this point, I, I I mean, I'm not gonna like get this inflated sense of self or anything, but there's certainly like a. There's certainly something to be said for, for, for the fervor and, and, and rancor we've, we've raised on, online over the last few years. Um, it's been part of what, I mean, even from like the time I started talking about it, to see a very different attitude in the comment section each and every year, just get further and further toward the, yeah, why aren't we scheduling wins um, point. I mean, I, I saw still today there were plenty of people who were saying they'd rather go five and seven um, against the tougher schedule, which... I'm I'm really not sure why, um, and and I'm not sure they are sure either. But to each their own. If if you if you're gonna you know die on that five and seven hill, you you're you're gonna be pretty committed to it at this point. Um, I'd rather go six and six against bad teams and eventually be able to upgrade as we were talking about earlier. Yeah, just be pragmatic about it and not like, all right, well, we did this for a year, so obviously we're going to get to eight and four and and get a bunch of you know four star recruits and be uh, competitive in the ACC. Um, it's a process. It's going to take a while. Like, there's hopefully we'll be in a bowl game in the next two years. Um, there's a chance that doesn't happen. Uh, hopefully, we see uh, solid progress in terms of the play on the field, whether or not we're winning enough games to make a bowl. But it, like, we just we we've, we've put ourselves in such a hole and. You know, the Marone blip was nice, but it clearly didn't, you know, solve the issues. And it didn't, uh, you know, Scott Schaefer clearly wasn't the man to keep that uh, momentum going. So we're kind of back to proposed G-Rob square one. And it's, it's you know, just because Doug Marone got us the bowl, a bowl in, in year two and was able to, you know, beat Missouri one time uh, without the best player, but, you know, still, and do a couple other good things. Doesn't mean that, you know, Babers will do the same thing playing in a tougher league um, or that he should be expected to or that, you know, that should be the expectation of terms of what a rebuild at Syracuse looks like. So, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm very happy that we seem to be doing things uh, more logically. And, you know, even if like a one for one with Western Michigan is an ideal, like we're, we're still behind the eight ball in a lot of these years. Now we're starting to get caught up. I think we're actually in a pretty good place now where we weren't two weeks ago. Um, and, you know, hopefully doing that one for one saves us some money in terms of what we have to pay out for those, the, the buying game, um, hopefully Tim Lester's a really bad head coach, uh, and I've, tanks. I've got some money on him not I, being very good at his job. I, I uh, who knows? Like he might be okay. Um, he was uh, not the best offensive coordinator. Granted, he was put in a very t- tricky situation, uh, all things considered. Um, but I also don't think that he's going to be PJ Fleck. Yeah, and as long so as he's overall, PJ Fleck, I, I, I like our chances. And we go after kids in Michigan um, fairly frequently. Uh, we, you know, uh, we go after what? How many kids do you think we we recruit from there? You know, maybe a dozen, and we go get two to three every year. Like it's not, it's not a nothing recruiting area for us. It's it's that in Virginia where we're playing Liberty, 
um, are both places that we go. And so those are advantages to those road games, even if, you know, you'd rather do two for one like you are with Liberty or uh, get, you know, even if you get like a two hour or something. But Western Michigan's also in like a pretty good place for where that program is. So they have a little more bargaining power right now than they will probably in two years. But, you know, getting them on the schedule was good. So uh, pretty happy with it overall. I think it checks most of the boxes. 100%. Um... One of the other pieces of news this week was uh, far more unfortunate. Um, Stephen Clark was disqualified by the SSU medical staff. Um, tough to hear from him just because, you know, from a football player and just a human standpoint, like I hate to see that type of stuff happen to the kid. Uh, for those who haven't read any of the articles, um, he had a rare uh, disease that ended up resulting in more blood clots. Um, this made it very hard to play contact sports and both uh, a Syracuse area uh, hematologist and the uh, Syracuse team doctor um, advised against him playing football anymore. Um, so again, very unfortunate uh, for him, family, the whole deal. Um, it's also unfortunate for the Orange program um, because defensive tackle is not a place that we really have a ton of depth. Um, as far as experience goes right now in the roster, it's McKinley Williams, uh, Caton Samuels, and uh, Chris Slayton. Uh, Kenneth Ruff is pushing 280 now, if not more, so he's probably getting shifted in there. It's crazy how much he's kind of... I feel like Kenneth Ruff's gained like 50-plus pounds since he got to campus last year just because of he went from a linebacker to a defensive end and now a defensive tackle potentially. Um, and then we have, you know, we have more reserves coming in, but nonetheless, like, Still don't have a ton of, of, of overall defensive line depth, and especially not um, in the defensive tackle spots. So this, uh, this hurts in a lot of different directions, unfortunately. Yeah, it's tough because he was one of the more promising young players on the team, I think. He was at a position of need, as you said. like Defensive tackle is one of the toughest positions to fill, and he, was, he looked like a very promising one. Um, he played pretty well as a freshman last year. I, I think he would have played really well this year. Um, it's, it's a tough situation. Like, I, I think you have to go by what your doctors say. Like, if you're not going to, then you're setting a sticky precedent as to, like, what your standards are. Um, I understand that, like, his doctors in Alabama told him something different, and I hope that if he thinks he can play and he's 100% in on that decision, um, and that's what he wants to do, knowing the possible risks, and he gets cleared, like, if he wants to transfer to another school, I don't think anyone's going to blame him for that. Um, but it's, I, I really find it hard to blame, uh, the Syracuse doctors for doing what they think is right for the player's health. Now, obviously it's, it comes down to his, uh, what he wants to do ultimately, but if Syracuse doesn't feel right playing him, then they are within their right to not do that. No, completely. And, and, and it also becomes a bit of a liability, um, thing and, and that, uh, that, that's, I think where, where the trouble lies for some people thinking about it is just it becomes a liability thing on, on their part. And like, if you're the school, especially because, you know, right now you can't really provide much in terms of, um, you know, you can only provide a limited amount of, of, of medical care and help. You can't really provide anything in terms of, you know, in insurance on future earnings, all these things. Like you can't, it's, you don't want to ruin a kid's life because you need another defensive tackle. Yeah, absolutely. It's just not worth it. Um, I just, you know, if something was to happen, even if it's like a 5% chance of it happening, like, it's just a total disaster. 
Um, just, I mean, obviously personally for him and just for the liability of the program, uh, it just you can't have it. So I think they probably made the right decision. Even if they're being as cautious as humanly possible, I, I don't blame anyone for being that. And I, I understand if, you know, he's upset or his family's upset or whatever else. But, uh, and, and that's natural considering, you know, it's his football career. It's a big thing. That's what he's doing in college for. Um, hopefully they can find a, a resolution, whether it's at Syracuse or elsewhere, that makes everyone happy. Agreed, agreed. Um, since we're just kind of hitting all the, the big news points today, um, Athlon released, it was yesterday, I mean, I have the magazine here, but um, released online, the, uh, their ACC predictions, and they have Syracuse going 5-7 and seven and 2-6 and six in the ACC, so finishing 6th. Uh, they'd be tied with BC, but I'm assuming they predict us to beat the Eagles um, in that head-to-head matchup. Um, I know most Syracuse fans seem fine with it. I was pretty much fine with it, just based on the difficulty of schedule, Dan. But I noticed uh, one Duke fan actually reached out and was thought that Athlon was pretty low on both Syracuse and Duke's prospects. They had Duke at four and eight, I believe, and two and six in the conference. Um, Duke obviously, you know, kind of dipped a little bit last year, but they had a ton of injuries. Um, another consideration for, for Duke worth weighing um, is the fact that Duke is actually recruited at like a top 35 to 40 level now for the last like two or three seasons, um, which is pretty impressive for, for what Duke is. Obviously, we've discussed this before that they're a little, they're trying to pull a little bit of a Stanford East move, and it's in the process of working. Uh, David Cutcliffe is obviously a great coach, um, but Nonetheless, uh, you know, Duke is, is recruiting probably at the same level as Louisville, the same level as NC State, um, and a couple other teams in the conference, and yet not really getting the same benefit of the doubt that the Wolfpack get. Um, and uh, the one fan in question actually mentioned that, you know, he thought that Syracuse was better situated than NC State to finish fourth in the conference, which I was, I was stunned by, and, and, and I, I would love to explore that further here because I'm not doubting it, but maybe we're both like overly realistic because of how close we are to the program. Yeah. Uh, I think it's interesting. I think Syracuse is probably the most high variance team in the, uh, bottom half of the Atlantic. Like, I think, you know what your one through three are going to be most years. And, and especially this year, um, obviously I think we think Clemson will probably take a dip and maybe down to third. Um, if Louisville continues to have Lamar Jackson destroy people and Florida state should be really, really good this year. Um, NC state, like, I mean, we talk about it for here. Like they are always, I think I feel like slotted into fourth or fifth and they're always slotted to like six or seven wins. And that's just their program identity. So, and I, I mean, I think this coming year, like that's kind of looks like what they'll be. Um, because it's, it doesn't seem like they ever change. Um, Defense Syracuse is super good. I will give them that. Yes, their defensive line is quite good. Um, Wake is obviously coming off a bowl game uh, and could take another step forward, although there's a chance that they, you know, fall back. Um, Syracuse, I mean, I could see them. I don't think they'll finish seventh, but it's not, like, crazy. Um, I could see them finishing fourth uh, if if the Babers' offensive leap really takes hold and they start scoring 32 points a game. Um, If the defense makes a uh, jump from where it is to, like, just below average, like we, we say, like you don't need a, a giant job. I actually think, I don't know if I mentioned last week, but we were talking about Army last week, and when I was reading Bill Connolly's Army preview, he talked about how their defense went from like putrid to like 70th or something, and like that's all, you, that's exactly what Syracuse needs to do. 
like go from like the 110s to like the 70s or even like high 80s and you're in pretty good shape if the offense comes around like Babers says it, it usually does halfway through year two even if it does what it did last year I mean if you have a de- I mean, if you have last year's offense and a defense in the 70s you're probably winning five or six games if you have a better offense and even a defense in the 80s you're you're looking at six or seven wins I mean just because of of, of how the offense plays um I know for me and I know you too like fourth is a only reason I think fourth might be a tough order for them is just because of what what it would take for that to happen I mean I guess you could get there at three and five in league play because you if you beat the other three teams you'd get there but ideally you'd want four so it would probably be what state wake BC, BC. Miami uh, or or Pitt or Pitt depending well, on what Pitt I, is well, I guess Pitt yeah like Pitt would probably be more likely than Miami I'm there's a lot of people who, who are circling Miami as like the upset special for Syracuse I, I don't the Tech. Yeah, I, I don't see it just because it's it's on the road. I think Miami is a is a better team than Virginia Tech was last year. Uh, the quarterback's an issue. Like they tie us on. And... Quarterback is a real issue for them, but I do think that they've returned enough on defense. I know I haven't gotten to them preview wise yet, but soon enough. Yeah, they're talented. I think they're more talented than Pitt. I think Pitt. Uh, a lot of for, for for Pitt is you know what happens with the offense with Matt Canada down at LSU. Because he's obviously been one of the better, like low key, better offensive coordinators in the country for a little while now, and then it exploded last year at Pitt. We almost uh, had him a couple years ago. Yeah, he and Schaefer are boys, which could have really changed a lot of things. Like everyone, uh, pretty much. Schaefer might still be here, um, considering he knows how to actually put together an offense, which is a thing that no Schaefer offensive coordinator really did all that well. Um, uh, Tim Lester literally mailed in a quarter of almost a half a season. Because he said there was no point in, in like reinventing the wheel mid-year. Which is funny because our last pretty like our, our best football season in recent memory, we did literally that exact thing right. <laughs> with <laughs> with Marone and uh, Nate Hackett. I mean, to me, that's the, and we're not going to go on a tangent here, but like to me, that is like the definition of of like being on borrowed time and like just a false sense of security on everybody's part that like you could. It's college football. There's a 12-game sample size every year, and you decided that six of them didn't matter. Yeah, and it's also, like, uh, it, uh, I don't think we really need to go on a rant about <laughs> the 2013 Syracuse football season. Um, it, was a ba- it was bad. It was very bad. Um, or was that 14? That was, that, was well, 14. that was 14 when we just got ravaged with injuries from start to finish. It's and then McDonald got demoted, and, and then there was lots of drama. definitely wanted to have me killed. <laughs> and look at us now. We're scheduling. We're making Syracuse's schedules remotely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Be- better times ahead, hopefully. Um, no. Overall, I-, I think, like you said, I, I think the big upgrade for for Syracuse offense is-, is just scoring. Like we talked about it recently. I think in the last couple of weeks, like uh, production wise, in terms of like yards gained, I think we're in a pretty good spot. Um, we just couldn't get the ball into the end zone. So. Uh, and field goals were an issue. Um, so, I mean, if Syracuse can, can add a touchdown a game or, or six points a game through how, whatever means, like, you're taking a giant leap, you're, you're moving the ball, you're putting the defense on its heels like you did in West Virginia, and then you just need an opportunistic defense that makes some big stops, and if it's going to give up points, it's going to, uh, 
not do so where you know you're you're totally derailing the flow of the game so the offense can't get back in it. Um, so hopefully, uh, if if all that happens, then I think fourth is attainable because I don't think NC State's going to be great. I think Wake is you know I don't think they're going to be that much better than they were last year. Um, I if think at all. they might take a step. I mean, because what's it called? Uh, Wolford's gone. Yep. So now we have to. Who the hell is there? Quarterback now. Oh, uh. I don't remember this. Uh. Great radio. As we both Google. Fantastic. Yeah, this is. This is stupid. <laughs> why? Why can't I find out? I, like, his name is, like, right in my. It's not Kearns. He was kicked off the team. He's kicked off the team. And, uh, Cameron's not old enough yet. Oh, Kendall Hinton. There we go. Right, yes. Oh, did he play against us in one of the last two games? Because we injured uh, no. all the quarterbacks two years ago, no, <laughs> or one last. Oh, yeah, well, we made a habit of, of, of murdering somebody for, for games on end. We hurt, I think, in succession, um, Riley Skinner. Wolford, the, sec- the, more recent, the most recent win at Wake Forest that was there. We were both there. Campanaro. Um, we hurt Campanaro in that ugly, like, 13 nothing game. I felt bad. I was at that game too. I felt he was like their only good player. Right. Um, now Hinton did not play against us last year, or 2015. Year yeah, he didn't play the year before either. We because uh, that game a couple years ago, Wolford, it's actually one of the three games he didn't play in, which is kind of weird. Yeah, Wolford blew up because that was the worrisome part. Like that game was really tight. They just couldn't get in the end zone, and then we hurt Wolford for like a couple drives. And that's when, like, Dungy just, like, blew up in, like, the third quarter. Right. Yes. So. That was the thing that happened. Um, so, yeah. Wake. Wake, I have questions about the defense being able to replicate last year. And just from an offensive standpoint. Like, they really didn't do much against us offensively last year. And, and They made the rain happen. Yeah, they made the rain happen. Sure. <laughs> and, like, that's what people keep forgetting when they, when they like... People just look at that score and go, oh, Wake had Syracuse's number last year. But, like, that wasn't really the case. That score was not at all indicative of what that game was. Um, also, it was, the, it was the worst conditions I've ever been played in or, or uh, watched a football game in. Which, some of that is that I watch a lot of games at the Dome. But they were the conditions were so, so, so awful. Oh, miserable. And then on top of that, like, BC's trash, and I think everyone's resigned themselves to knowing BC's trash, but also scheduled well enough that they made a bowl game last year and won it. Um, I think State, because I, I do really believe in Finley, um, they've also got what's-his-name at running back still. I'm not going to look it up because it's going to create more bad radio. Um, and then they still have uh, Jalen Samuels. So th- there are reasons to believe in state, think more so than normal, um, and then we'll like we'll go into all these much much later in the summer when we preview the Atlantic Division. Um, another wrinkle, just in terms of you know teams that we can beat, people are just high on Pitt because like oh they recruit well enough and Narduzzi is like a proven like is Narduzzi really that proven like his last Michigan State defense did not look that great and his first two pit defenses have not looked that great his and last pit defense was straight up bad yeah it was like i mean was among the worst in the country it was worse than ours which is saying something um by most metrics and then like you got no james connor this year peterman's gone so now you have to hope that max brown 
like translates the like glimmers of success that he had at USC and like either like spot start duty or mop up duty. And you have to hope that like he turns that into being like the effective game manager that Peterman was like, I'm not saying he can't, but everyone just assuming he will is also foolish. Yeah, I mean, I, I he was a really good defensive coordinator. Obviously, his last year at Michigan State it was probably maybe his worst statistically. Um, so I wouldn't bet against him eventually fielding a pretty good defensive pit since he's you know just starting to get his own players in as veterans. But like that hasn't been the thing yet. He loses James Conner. He loses um, who court, we can't think of any quarterbacks names. Peterman, Nate Peterman. Um, he loses Matt Canada, like we said. So there's a chance that Pitt faces a pretty substantial slide um, of their own because Peterman was sneakily one of the better quarterbacks in the ACC um, last year, uh, and Canada ended up, you know, obviously being getting the LSU job, and I think he's like one of the highest paid coordinators in the country now. So obviously he was well sought after, um, which he didn't need to be made because I don't think LSU had to, you know, work that hard to outpay Pitt. Um, so it, it, they will be one of the more interesting teams. Um, I think they're a strong regression candidate. That doesn't mean that Syracuse will, will beat them next year, but I feel probably better about that one than Miami if we're looking to steal one. I would agree. Um, all right. I was going to talk one more thing for news, but instead halftime because we're already at the 30 minute ish mark. So Dan, what have you been drinking? Uh, let's see. Going back to last week, um, I had some uh, High Lie from Cedar City, which is popping from more and more places. Unfortunately, not the White Oak variant, which is one of my favorite beers out there, but the regular one, which is just good, really good. Um, I had uh, Half Tone from Grimm uh, down in Brooklyn, um, although I had it up here in Harlem. Um, really, really good IPA. Uh, Grimm does awesome IPAs, and this one... Uh, according to the untapped profile, IPA with notes of strawberry, resin, citrus, and passion fruit. Um, I don't remember it being like overly fruity, but definitely super refreshing. Uh, one of the better IPAs I've had in a while, um, aside from that uh, Hill Farm set from last week, uh, which is one of the best beers I've had in a while. Um, I'm currently drinking uh, the one, my last Stay Gold from Interboro, uh, so hopefully they put that one out for a third time since uh, they were only supposed to make it once and they've now made it twice. Um, I had... One of my Brooklyn Sriracha Aces, which are still in the fridge, which uh, was just, as I remember, one of the better uh, Saisons that you can find pretty regularly around here. Um, really drinkable for a Saison, which isn't always the case. Um, and what else did I have? Oh, I had uh, Hornswoggle from Cedar City as well, which I didn't like as much. It's, uh, it's a red ale. It drinks all like a stout, so it's like there's not any real... Um, sharpness to it at all uh it really wasn't my thing uh there was a little bit of vanilla white like i think they do the same white oak treatment with it which was definitely there um they say there's a citrus component which i didn't really get uh so i think if you like stouts uh you'd probably like this red ale um it wasn't really my thing fair enough yeah i actually uh i'll be down in florida for like a week extended weekend next month so i'm hoping to get some uh cigar city and funky buddha from the sorcerer as close to the source as possible. So uh, we don't really get any of that out here. Yeah, I'm, I'm just hoping the White Oak starts to make more rounds. Like, the High I can find pretty easily now. The, the White Oak High is, like, I, there's, I think there's one place in the city I've seen it. So um, definitely need hope that that one starts to get wider distribution. Fair enough. A uh, couple things from me. 
Uh, went to a, instead of buying the Beer Camp box this year from Sierra Nevada, I just went to a tasting event and just had them all. So that cost more money, but at the same time, just got to try them all and not have to deal with bottles of things I didn't want. There were several bottles in there I did not want, <laughs> including a ginger lager. I hate ginger, except for ginger ale, so was not a, not a fan of that one. But uh, they had a really good Dunkel Weiss. What else was in there? Oh, their uh, East meets West, meets West IPA that they did with Treehouse was really good. Um, other ones that were good. Their Raspberry Sunday that they did with the brewery. Um, it was a Belgian blonde, so like it, it didn't take on like the dessert beer, beer qualities, and it really didn't have enough of the like chocolate versus the raspberry in there. Um, thought the dry hop barley wine that they did with, I think it was Avery, was pretty good. Um, their Atlantic-style vintage ale they did with Fuller's was pretty good. Also had a really good Berliner Weiss with, I forget who they comboed with that one on. But, yeah, that one was pretty good if you end up picking up that box for yourself. Um, what else they had? Had some Blind Pig. Had some more Double Dry Hop Thrill Seeker since I grabbed a bottle of it last week. It was definitely better on draft. Um, had some Pickleweed Point IPA from uh, Pizza Port. They, uh, they canned this one recently, and it's super good. It's, uh, it's on the lighter end. I think it's around like 5 5.5%. Uh, it's a little bit lighter than some of their regularly uh, distributed IPAs, but definitely enjoyable. And then I uh, actually was up at my old stomping grounds in Santa Monica over the weekend, so went over to Santa Monica Brew Works. They made beer when I was up there, but they hadn't uh, created a tap room yet. So actually got to like, check out the tap room and uh, had their chili pepper pale ale, which was uh, not too peppery, was definitely like a notch or two below um, like a habanero sculpin, which is enjoyable because habanero sculpin just got way too much pepper on the back end. Uh, this one was just a very good pale ale with some pepper notes. Um, then they had a couple of hazy IPAs that were all right. And that was really it for me in terms of notable drinking. I had a Budweiser, unfortunately, at Dodger Stadium last night. Great for job. It was the only thing under $14 in the entire stadium. <laughs> the only, I, I forgot to mention, I uh, ran into a friend of the blog slash pod, uh, Aaron Goldfarb, at a random Negroni Week PR event that I got plus one to, to on Monday where we drank a lot. Yes, which, uh, which featured just me not doing uh, any kind of PR or not, you know, writing about uh, alcohol ever, really. Um, drinking a lot of free Negroni, so that was fun. Nice. Not even my favorite drink, but uh, they taste pretty good free, and there were a lot of, like, weird uh, versions of them that tasted variously good. Um, so I thoroughly enjoyed that. Nice. Go to random PR events where they just feed you alcohol. Uh, pro tip. I feel like that's what Aaron does a lot. I was not. I, I shouldn't have been surprised to see him there, but like, I'm like, oh yeah, that's a that's that's a thing you do uh, regularly. <laughs> Good for him and that whole gig that he's uh, he's worked out. Um, there are worse things. No, far worse things. Um, all right. So the focus of the rest of this podcast, um, unless we divert into something else, which who knows. Um, Conference USA. This is a uh, the technical Conference USA preview podcast. Uh, as is customary during the off season, we spend the first half talking about Syracuse stuff, 
And then if you don't want to listen to the Conference USA part of things, that's fine. But we will talk a little bit about Conference USA. We're going to try to keep things top level, however, instead of uh, diving in um, too deep. But I did want to start with the one Conference USA opponent that Syracuse will face. Actually, the first Conference USA opponent that Syracuse will face of the current Conference USA teams. Fun fact. Uh, the Middle Tennessee Blue Raiders. Um, Dan, knowing you, you've probably at least seen a little bit of them. Um, adding Scott Schaefer was a really smart idea, uh, and not just because they face Syracuse. No? Uh, he's a good defensive coordinator. Um, if you can get a, a Power 5 level defensive coordinator as a Conference USA team, uh, you go do it. And he's been a good defensive coordinator everywhere he's been. So I think that was a great hire for them. Um, and I think a good move for him because we, who knows, I don't think we've ever really got uh, news of what like the issue that cut him away from Maryland was, but obviously he needed some time, so uh, I think this is probably a pretty low, I mean, I don't think Schaefer will ever like, be low stress at anything because he's just very torqued up all the time, um, but as far as like, he's very torqued. Um, as far as like pressure goes, like uh, if you can you know, ease your way back into coaching for a year or two in, in Murfreesboro, uh, I think that's it's a pretty good situation for him. So um, I'm interested to see what the reaction is. Uh, hopefully our fans are, like, fairly cool to him. I know it's still, like, weird. Uh, uh, there are weird feelings across the board for, for Schaefer. But, you know, he did, for, for all the poor coaching decisions and those two really awful years at the end, like, that dude really loved Syracuse uh, for all of its, you know, good and bad features uh, that a lot of other people, you know, don't seem to appreciate. So hopefully, you know, we are we give a, a nice, uh, fairly warm welcome uh, for a guy who, while he didn't succeed as head coach, like, and we still give a lot of shit to uh, justifiably for, for things that happen on the field, um, really, really enjoyed the town and the school. So uh, you can't really take that away from him. Yeah, I, I definitely won't. I think uh, I think he deserves a. Uh, I, I think he'll deserve the very warm welcome that he gets w- when he arrives. I think if if not for the the work that he did as head coach, at least for the work that he did um, as a defensive coordinator, he was a key member of the staff under Marone. Um, and without the defenses that that he led and really helped build, um, I don't necessarily know if the Marone era uh, is as successful. So in that regard. Uh, yeah, let, let's. And we said this the entire time too. Let's let let's not mix the two Schaefers. That um, they are they they are two completely different people in, in many ways. Um, and and you can you can criticize one without hating the other, and and vice versa. So um, it'll be nice to see him back. I think a lot of players will will definitely be glad to see him back. He was never he was never one to go without um, you know making an impact. Uh, and, and a personal connection with his players, and I think that was something um, that really stood out, and it was a reason why there was such an outcry to keep him um, kind of at the end. It's why he was carried off the field um, for beating Boston College uh, in his final game as Syracuse head coach. So, yeah, I think, I think we're going to see some mixed emotions from a lot of people, um, and I, I would highly recommend just if you really hate Schaefer for whatever reason, compartmentalize it, move on, and just uh, appreciate the, the good parts of, of his fairly extended stay in Syracuse between when he was a coordinator um, and when he was head coach. Yeah, I mean, he was there for seven years. Um, I think his defenses were between really good and, like, at least pretty good all four years under Marone. I think his uh, first defense as a head coach was really good. Um, his You know, there were diminishing returns there. Mostly good. 
Mostly, good. I mean, there, there were decide. that was that was a whole mess, and I think most the 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 weeks where we didn't decide to change to a three four defense uh, with one week to prepare for it um, were mostly good. <laughs> and I mean, they got to a, but they won a bowl game with uh, a broken offense. Um, aside from like Jerome Smith running headfirst into the line and being somewhat effective, so there was a. Uh, there were a lot of good moments for the Schaefer tenure. I remember covering spring ball back when he was defensive coordinator. He was easily the most entertaining person to watch on the field. Um, very infectious. Uh, I don't think any of us were really too uh, disappointed that he got that coaching job when he did. Like, to say that we were just as it didn't work out would be kind of revisionist history for, for I think, most people. Um, so, you know, hopefully uh, hopefully that works out. Hopefully he has a uh, – I'll say hopefully he has a really good year at MTSU aside from the Dome – and, you know, after we beat the Blue Raiders, who end up being 9-3, and three, it looks really good for us. Yeah, I buy that. I mean, like we said, he was the Maryland defense coordinator until he wasn't. Um, and I do think he's better suited for that coordinator role. So as long as he can find success with MTSU, I think that uh, the East Division over there is probably up for grabs um, a little bit uh, between them and, and, and Old Dominion. And I don't know what the hell's going on with Marshall. Uh, but yeah, there, there's there's some real opportunity for for him and for the whole entire MTSU program um, to put together a, a pretty nice season. But obviously, that that requires us to beat them first, and then after that, they can do whatever the hell they want. Um, I guess elsewhere in Conference USA, um, the biggest storyline for me is probably UAB. Um, for those who forgot, UAB's program was pretty much railroaded by the University of Alabama Regents. For, for literally no reason. For literally no reason. They just lost two complete seasons. Um, so that's why they had like a 47-man recruiting class two years ago um, to help replenish all the roster spots and players that left and ended up... I mean, the, the team that they had on hand um, when they went, I think, 6-6 six and six, um, back in uh, 2014... Uh, a lot of those players ended up succeeding elsewhere. Um, I think a bunch of them got drafted. I don't have the full list in front of me, but um, a ton of them really did go on to find um, a lot of great success, um, and, and some of them are in the NFL now. So uh, they were doing something great, uh, and it seemed like they're going to continue doing something great. They, uh, they retained most of the coaching staff, including the head coach. Um, they definitely have a lot more... Uh, what looks like outward fan support than they did before because there's kind of a galvanizing force behind it. Um, I think it's still going to be tough when they're dealing with a lot of young players and a lot of JUCOs um, to get immediate success, but luckily they're in the right conference um, to, to break through relatively quickly. Um, I, I think, you know, Conference USA, we're previewing them first, despite what many people think. Like, Sunbelt's kind of a better conference now, so Conference USA is is... is interesting because it doesn't really have a clear pecking order outside of um a couple teams being at the bottom but um at at the same time like you know it also allows for um a certain amount of randomness and and that uh that makes it appealing not just for uab but i think for everyone that that you stand a legitimate chance to at least contend for a division title year in and year out yeah i think the big problem for conference usa is that they just don't they lack the branding of the mac and the sunbelt like you need a catchy name Cusa doesn't really work. I mean, I nope. know I, I know Stephen Godfrey's a, a big fan of that one, and that's fine. 
Um, I, I think the the bigger issue for them is just the the rotating cast of characters that would make up Conference USA. Um, you never know who's in Conference USA, right? <laughs> like the Sun Belt, like you probably don't know who's in the Sun Belt either. You know a couple, but you look at the Sun. Yeah. yeah, you look at the Sun Belt. You're like, okay, I get it. You look at Conference USA. You uh, you look at Conference USA. Well, I guess that's aside from when Idaho is in it. <laughs> aside from that, you mostly understand. Conference USA is is an amalgamation. <laughs> yeah, it's just hey, you're in a market. Let's grab you. And like this is why they had several conversations now about like I don't know. What if the Sun Belt and Conference USA just decided to like screw having separate leagues and just having one big like kind of southeastern Brady Bunch. Yeah, Brady Bunch scheduling alliance. And like to be honest, it's not the worst idea. I think we talked about it. I think there was a week that we talked about it and then we, we didn't realize that they brought up the exact same thing on uh, on PAPN. Yeah. And we like had a weird mind meld, even though neither of us had listened to PAPN, which came out I think the day that we recorded. Right. Um, so that was fun. Uh, still swear we didn't steal that idea. Um, it would be interesting. Uh, I don't know what, like, the actual impacts would be, but it might just help, um, you know, media rights, <laughs> maybe. Uh, it's hard to tell with anything anymore because of how quickly everything changes, but, uh, I think it'd be a fun thing to, like, think about and, and consider as an experiment. Oh, 100%. Like, I don't think it'll ever actually happen. No. I think that the, the bigger thing, mostly from a branding perspective, to be honest, um, you've also got, like, you'd have a conference that would have, like, just as many, like, random wings of it as, like, the American Athletic Conference does. You know, you look at, you'd have a league basically stretching all the way from, you know, Virginia over to, like, the easternmost, oh, sorry, westernmost part of Texas at UTEP. Um, the Conference USA already struggles with with all that, having both the Virginia team and the West Texas team in Old Dominion and UTEP, respectively. Um, I'd find it very difficult to see how then adding a bunch of teams in the middle of that loop uh, would really make it any better. That said, like, I don't know, maybe just redraw the lines. Like, just just call yourselves, like, just call yourself, like, the Sun Belt and, like, put, like, a the in front of it to make yourself sound important, like Ohio State. And then, like, just draw a line east-west and move on. Just trade teams, do what you got to do, and, like, and move on with, with with your entire experience you've got going here. I mean, I think our idea, didn't we say uh, do uh, re- uh, relegation? Relegation's <laughs> fine, and, and, and that's something that uh, Bill Connolly's champion and other people have, too. I would think, just for the sake of not having a quote-unquote lesser league um, at this point, like, screw it. Just just draw a line down the middle. Like, you've got enough teams on both on both East and West that you'd probably have better matchups, more fun matchups. You'd have better recruiting battles. Excuse me. You'd have a lot more... You'd have a lot more kids who, who, who were used to facing each other growing up against one another instead of these, like, random road trips, you know, from... Uh, from like East Virginia down to West Texas or from Charlotte, you know, down to, I guess you'd tell it up in Miami, but like, you know, Charlotte down to like Denton, Texas and all this other crap, like stop it. Like just fix your brand problem by giving it a very clear brand for both leagues and, and, and move on. Yeah. I, I think it would, uh, 
quite possibly help things just because they're both kind of amalgamations. Even, you know, somebody makes a little more sense, but they're both, like, kind of nonsensical. Yeah, I mean, and we'll, we'll get more into the Sun Belt next week, but, like, Dan, when you think of Conference USA, like, who are the teams that you automatically, like, think of? Uh, for me, it's been Western Kentucky, just because they are so fun. Um, obviously, they lose uh, a decent amount. I mean, they lose their head coach, Jeff Brown, to Purdue. Um, I do like the hire they made uh, with Mike Sanford Jr., who comes over from two years uh, as OC at Notre Dame. Um, obviously, hire. we thought of him for like our job. At least, yeah, like he was a like an off. He was being floated a little bit, not really for. I mean, he was just like a, a, a guy who was guy we thought of. He was probably a guy who was like a year too early that you think about like jumping in as like an early investment and hoping he can figure it out. Um, before he was at Notre Dame for the last two years uh, as OC. Um, two years ago, that offense was really, really good with Deshaun Kaiser. Last year, the offense was not as good, but the defense was the problem for that team. Um, and then, uh, what should we call it? Um, the year, but before that, he was at uh, Boise State, which I believe is his alma mater. Um, and he had really good offenses there for Brian Harson. So he uh, he's young. He would have been the youngest head coach in college football next year had Lincoln Riley not gotten the surprising head coaching job after... Uh, after today's shocking Bob Stoops announcement. Um, but uh, instead, you know, he'll just be the second youngest head coach in football. Um, but I really like that hire for them. Um, and if you're a team like that, like, that's kind of what you need to do. Uh, you are, you know you're going to lose your coach the second they do anything um, because people find the ranks in Western Kentucky is, you know, kind of at the top of, like, the or like the, the top of, like, that non-AAC uh, Mountain West part of the G5, but, like, well, they're the, Arkansas, they're the Arkansas State of Conference USA. Right. But, you know, say a really good AAC job opens up, you might lose a guy there. Um, obviously, they lost theirs to the Big Ten. But um, you know, like your, your coach is always going to be uh, – it's always a possibility that he's going to jump ship. Um, so I think uh, I think they did a really nice job with Sanford, who has coached there before. Tom knows the landscape. Um, he has a, a good pedigree uh, from, like, the Jim Harbaugh and David Shaw tree. Um, so I – Pretty. Imp- I mean, Schaefer's on it, but like, other than other than that branch, there's yeah, there there is a, a decent amount of like quality young head coaches on that, and I think yeah, like Western Kentucky's really embraced, and the same way Arkansas State's embraced it, um, this kind of like because they're not competing for the same things that Boise State's competing for on an annual basis, like they have the ability to really just like roll the dice on a guy who's going to be gone in two years and, and just embrace the, like, the, the coaching factory aspect, which is, I, I think, a, a fascinating concept for, for them, for, for Arkansas State and a couple others who like, but especially those two, um, who've, instead of, instead of seeing it as chaotic, it seems like the, the players they bring in, the fans and, and everybody else are willing to just embrace the fact that it's going to be different, but it, 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 for some reason, is always at least average. Yeah, I think just pragmatism is really underrated uh, in terms of uh, what these uh, these schools do. Like, you just have to understand, you know, what your place in the world is and just always be ready to make a, a good hire. And I think so, some schools are, are way better that, than that uh, at that than others. Um, Western Kentucky... You know, obviously hasn't had to do it too frequently, but they've had you know guys go through the ranks pretty, pretty, uh, 
a couple times now. You had Taggart obviously go to USF, and then now he's at Oregon. You had uh, obviously Brom last year. So it's um, oh yeah, Bobby Petrino was there for like a hot minute. Um, which you, I don't know if they expect to lose him after one year to the school that he was at before, but I mean, it was like one of those things that was like joked about, but then you're like, oh, this is actually happening, I guess. Um, Bobby Petrino, so. Right. You, know, you, you always, even Louisville has to like, in the back of, in the back of Louisville's mind, uh, their collective hive mind as a school, um, you have to think that there's a chance Bobby Petrino, I know he has like a giant buyout and like. Oh, I've, it, I've talked to Louisville fans and, and they are, they are petrified. That, yeah, that it's gonna happen again. But then they can get uh, Charlie Strong back. You know what though? They'll, they'll be fine with it if like it happens for a college job, and it doesn't happen like if it does. Like at this point, like I think they're all resigned to it happening, just like in a very different way than last time. Like last time, it just seemed like everyone was a little too pissed off. Like they were a little t- like he was a little too anxious to to leave, and like in the middle of everything, and people felt like he hadn't finished the job. I feel like this time because of, of the position that the program's in. He's not finished the job necessarily. Louisville still hasn't been to, like, you know, the type of ball game, at least under him, that they want to be. But they've gotten closer to, quote-unquote, finishing it, I would say, than, than they had before. It also, like, I think the one the thing that really helps is, like, he's Bobby Petrino, and I think there are just programs, like, he's a really successful head coach. There are definitely programs that are just not going to want that, like, his, like, weird like snail trail like slimy trail on them <laughs> like um i mean not in the sec there isn't a there isn't a school down there that, that wouldn't hire him at- no i think for for the sec and for for schools that might not care about that he's also old like he's in his like late 50s early 60s he um he's just kind of been around for a long time and there's you know unless you you think you have a like say your uh i was gonna say arkansas i don't think that'll happen um say Say uh, you're Auburn and you just oh, get Auburn tired of Gus Malzahn. Auburn doesn't care about anything. Um, and, like, Gus Malzahn either takes, like, an NFL job after blowing up or, like, he goes 8-5 and five again or 8-4, and four, whatever, and they just decide that they want to uh, try to make a, a run out of the same roster but with a different coach. Um, Petrino, like, maybe they would go after him, but I think his age and just... A combination of those things might preclude like uh, some other big schools from going after, and there aren't like that many schools that would poach that could go in and poach Louisville for that easily. But there's a fair amount. Uh, it's just how sh- depends on how shameless they are and how worried they are about him being like an older coach. You know, I feel like I feel like Auburn would be fine with it. I feel like Ole Miss would be fine with it. Oh, <laughs> Ole Miss, if. if- <laughs> if, if they lose, if, if they have to fire Hugh Freeze because uh, of the like pending, I, I think. Well, if they if they have to fire Hugh Freeze, I feel like they're going to try to hire Gus Malzahn, and Auburn's going to let him. God, that'd be so funny. <laughs> um, just to, as a as a quick digression, it seems right now like the school that between the three schools that have major NCAA stuff uh, staring them down the barrel, I think Ole Miss is the most likely to get the appropriate. Uh, penalty, right? Like, oh, one hundred percent. Because they flaunted I, it, and everybody they flaunted it, and theirs, theirs is the most normal, um, digestible NCAA scandal. Yeah. Um, Everything else has all these like extra layers and caveats that. I saw someone say that it might be like uh, I think it was the, it was the the lawyer for basically the assistant AD they threw under the bus. Um, his lawyer 
said, and I don't know how much he knows, but he said uh, on the record that uh, the penalties could be like near death penalty. Um, I don't think they're a penalty. I, I, I don't buy that for any of I don't buy it, like, it being all that close. It wouldn't shock me if they got the biggest penalty we've seen since, aside from like Penn State, which got like taken back, obviously. Yeah, which got walked back, and now they're better for it for some idiotic reason. Despite um, the fact that they actually committed heinous crimes against humanity. Yeah, but even that was like a situation that was at, like beyond the NCAA's, if not their jurisdiction. Like it was, it was outside of where the NCAA can like hard line say like we're comfortable penalizing this because like the Ole Miss stuff is very, it's it's like the one that's directly within their purview. Louisville, um, I don't know why that one's not seen quite the same way, because, like, it was still all student-athlete stuff. Um, but that, that seems to have some weird uh, stuff going on. I think I think Louisville ended up being very similar to the Syracuse penalties. I think Patino's almost definitely going to get uh, the Bayheim uh, larry Brown suspension, um, probably the exact same one. Uh, North Carolina, I <laughs> North yeah, Carolina might just eight. walk. Yeah, they might gonna, walk. They'll get something. But it wouldn't shock me if they got less than what SU got, and that's so frustrating. Um, but like the NCAA, it's it's just the NCAA needs needs reform on penal and their their penalties so badly because it's just all so muddled and and so feckless uh, in terms of like actually bad stuff. Um, but like it, it's, I almost like get like where. They don't want to get involved with certain things, but then they they open themselves up when they when they hit SU for, you know, uh, one great one one paper that was like faulty, versus UNC is just so much worse. It it, it makes it seem like you're better off just doing just going all the way. No, hundred um, percent. I guess wrapping up here because we have a couple minutes left. Um, Dan, who do you think are your your kind of top four in Conference USA this year, and and who wins the Conference USA championship that no one really pays much attention to after the game? I couldn't tell you who won last year. So um, last year was Western. Do they have uh, they have a championship game, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, it's at the home. It's, I think it's at the home field of the best team, which is for the best. You know what? I'm gonna go uh, with, with outside of a team that we've talked about. Um, Western, I think it might just take a year. I, I feel shaky about naming them the champion with a new head coach, even one that we're high on. I'm gonna go Louisiana Tech. I think Skip Holtz is just so far in his comfort zone there. Um, I think we've kind of found that Skip Holtz is not a Power Five coach, but he a damn good Conference USA coach. He, he might be one again, which will be really funny, and I I look forward to seeing what school does that. Um, but I think he's, oh, that'd be so good. (laughs) Oh, that'd be so good. Um, and that wouldn't shock me if I'm like a Notre Dame connected person getting a BC job. That makes sense. Or just Notre Dame. Actually. Oh, that'd be, that'd be way better. If Louisiana Tech goes like 11 and two or something this year, he's headed to Notre Dame. Um, Does why why fire why not fire Brian Kelly if you can get like Stip Holtz who's literally like worse Brian like Stip Holtz is like homeless man's Brian Kelly less successful Brian Kelly um, yeah um, Texas Tech's another option for him too I can see that Texas that seems like a Texas Tech hire if Kingsbury doesn't get together um, I like Louisiana Tech I think they're just very consistent I think Stip's done a really nice job there uh, that just he should just stay there forever um, they they cycle in and out of quarterbacks and all of them do well. Uh, he turned Jeff Driscoll into a prolific passer. Um, Which I, I think just says more about Will Muschamp than, than him. But. It's, a, it's a, yeah, a lot about a lot, I think. 
Um, so that's my, I like that as the pick. Uh, I think Connolly has them number two in the, in the, in the conference. I, I feel good about them. I think they're just consistent and, you know, and this isn't a league where you have to win 10 games, uh, to win the conference. Usually like it, it's always kind of, a a weird set of, uh, wins and losses because teams challenge themselves and get put on a lot of schedules. I think uh, a nine and three Louisiana tech feels like a good champion. Um, I like Louisiana Tech to win the West over uh, Southern Miss, but I think I'm going with Old Dominion. I just really like what Bobby Wilder's done there. I feel like the fact that he still hasn't left is astounding at this point. Um, is he an alum? I feel like he might be an alum. Oh, I'm not sure. I was looking at all the coaches today because I was looking at their ages. Um... I'd be surprised he wasn't an alum because the program only came back like when he became head coach. He's not an alum. He's an alum of Maine. Interesting. So he has nowhere to go. Um... <laughs> he used to coach at... Here's his coaching resume. 88 to 89, he was at GA at Boston College. And then 90 to 2006, he was an assistant at Maine. He was an assistant at the same FCS school for 16 years. And then at 07, he got the ODU job. And since then, yeah, I think he's... He's, he's a guy to watch, I feel like, this offseason. Like, like, if he gets ODU to, like win conference usa i mean last year odu went like 10 and 3 in like their what second or third year at the fbs level um i mean that that whole job is, is really well situated but but wilder in particular i feel like is if he was gonna jump this might be the year i think that odu is obviously not flawless by any means but the fact that he can get what he's been able to get year after year out of the monarchs um and the fact that they've been so quick to kind of jump into contention um, in Conference USA, I have a feeling that they'll take advantage of Western Kentucky's slight step back um, and take the East, and I think that they take the conference in a shootout, as per usual, um, over Louisiana Tech. And then that also motivates both coaches to leave because Skip Holtz feels like he's done all he can. Dad, someone hire Skip and just, I hope it's someone entertaining, or it's BC. Which will be entertaining in its own way, but not for the same reason. Entertaining for us. Yeah, very, very, very entertaining for us. Um, all right, I think we, uh, I think we did some good work here. We didn't talk about Conference USA as much as we figured, but I feel like we still ended up covering enough of the conference that if most of our fans just want kind of a passing glance, uh, they got it. And we once again did not talk about Notre Dame, so mission accomplished. Yeah. Um, I guess we brought them up with Stipholtz, but slightly, just in passing. Yeah, just yeah, we, we we drive by on Notre Dame quite a bit, um, but, th- but that <laughs> that's all we'll do. Um, it's like South Bend. <laughs> yeah, ne- never go to South Bend. Uh, on that note, Dan, thank you as always for joining us. Much appreciated. Yes, everyone up here in New, uh, New York, enjoy our first uh, week of summer weather, which is allegedly coming after uh, it's been in the fifties all week. Yeah, we. Uh, we're in the 60s this week. We're headed to the 70s next week. So I think that'll hopefully keep us in, in the elusive L.A. summer at this point, which for the last six months we've we've hovered between 50 and 65 degrees, which is odd for here. That's been us. Like, we, we had, like, one nice week, like, in April, and then it's just been gross. So it's supposed to hit, like, 90 in a couple days, and then it's going to stay there for a while. So I don't really like that, but, like, get me into, like, the high 70s, and I'm, I'm pretty cool. So Fair enough. Um, all right. So that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe 
on iTunes, on Blog Talk, and uh, be sure to root for the Syracuse uh, track athletes at the NCAA Championships this weekend. Uh, those will be on one of the ESPN networks. I know that Justin Knight was interviewed by ESPN. Uh, we have a couple other athletes there, so should be fun. Go Orange. Go Orange, Justin Knights. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.